0: Your devices on silent for the duration of the service. Thank you. Oh, it was Andrew. <laughs> well, then I guess you're off the hook, Tanya. <laughs> what am I doing up here? Suddenly, I've just forgotten. Yeah, I was um, in the parking lot this morning, joking with John. I shared this with our team at the prayer meeting before the service. I was joking with John that if I'm Plan B for preaching this week, then I wonder what Plan C was and uh, he said it was him. (laughs) So you guys are lucky. No, just kidding. Um, But afterwards, I actually felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, kind of nudged me and said to me, "Um, yeah, it's funny to joke around, but you're not plan B, and no one here that's serving in place of someone else this morning is plan B. That... The body of Christ functioning as a body has always been God's plan A, and so even though it wasn't our plan for me to be here this morning, that doesn't mean that it wasn't God's plan to use every individual in this church to um, serve the body of Christ in this way this week. And so I hope that you guys don't feel like I'm a plan B this week, because I'm actually really excited to be up here and able to share with you. Um, so let's just get myself set. I'm actually going to be launching our new series this week. And usually Pastor Andrew would, would start off our new series. I was set to preach later off, later on down the track in this series, but now I get the opportunity to introduce it to us this morning because he's uh, under quarantine quarantine isolation at the moment, and so I'm really hoping that I'm able to do justice to the vision that he has for this series as I share this morning. So this is our relationship renovation series. I think there's a nice graphic behind me. So this is our new series for the next few weeks after our Vision Sunday, which will kind of interrupt it next week. So what I want you to do for a second here is picture a house. Not your house, but I want you to think of one of your most significant relationships. And I want you to picture that relationship as a house. Think about what that relationship would look like if it was a house. Because we live in our relationships, so what would it look like if it were a house? Maybe your relationship would be a tiny house. I thought it would be really fun to live in a tiny house until I started watching videos of people who live in tiny houses and uh, everything smells like what they cook in the kitchen and, you know, you can't change standing up. I actually think it sounds terrible. But a tiny house has all of the essential things that a house does. It's got your kitchen and your living space and a bathroom and a uh, bedroom or bed area. It has all of the essential things, but it doesn't necessarily occupy a lot of space. That's kind of the goal of a tiny house. But if your relationship is a tiny house, what does that say about your relationship? Maybe the relationship you're thinking about is like an 80s bungalow. It's comfortable, but it could be time for some upgrades it's maybe not. Um, it's maybe not looking as shiny as it once did, or maybe your relationship is a new construction. It's exactly everything that you wanted, custom built for you, but only time is going to tell how things turn out there. Maybe your relationship is a penthouse apartment. It's a Beacon of success sitting up on top of the building. Or possibly your relationship is just a room in your parents' house. You know you want it to be more than it is, but you're just a bit stuck and don't know how to get it there. There's a lot of different ways we could see our relationships as houses. But relationships are inarguably one of the most important things in our lives. I would actually say that next to our relationship with God, our relationships with others are the most important thing in our lives. There was an article by a medical psychologist from Northwestern who explained that healthy relationships are not just vital for mental and emotional well-being, which I think we all imagine that they are. But they're even important for our very survival. This article talked about how people who are in um, stable and healthy relationships have, number one, less stress. So they didn't just survey people and ask how stressed they were. They actually measured their levels of cortisol, which is the stress hormone. And people who are in healthy and stable relationships produced less of this stress hormone, so they were less stressed as individuals. They also healed better, so they looked at results post-operative from major surgeries like heart surgeries and found that people in healthy and stable relationships recovered better post-operatively than people who didn't have those healthy relationships. It physically affected their recovery to be in healthy and stable relationships, which I think is pretty incredible. It also made a difference in terms of healthy behaviors. So they look at things like, um, eating habits, uh, alcohol abuse, addictions, and, uh, Measured people in healthy relationships, stable relationships and people outside and found that people in healthy relationships had less of those issues. And they attribute that to the support of people around them who care about them and care about their behaviors. So because others cared about them, they had less of those unhealthy behaviors in their lives. It also gives people a greater sense of purpose. And it helps them to live longer. You have a longer life expectancy if you have healthy and supportive, stable relationships. That says really good things about relationships. This is just a medical article. This has nothing to do with what we believe as Christians. This is just looking at the medical side of things, the statistics of people in healthy relationships. We know that having good relationships is good for us as people. I can't imagine that there's anyone in the room that would argue with me that relationships are really important. They're really valuable. But I would also assume that not one person in here would argue with me that you believe relationships are difficult. Relationships are not easy because we're all different. And so having relationships with people who are different than us, or sometimes the same as us, (laughs) are very difficult. So the goal of this series is to help us recognize the condition of our important relationships and give us a vision, a plan, and tools to renovate those relationships so that we can have healthy, thriving, and strong relationships. Because we're not going to be healthy, thriving, (laughs) thriving, and strong people if we don't have healthy, thriving, strong relationships. We want your relationships to be the highlight of your life and not something that just causes you stress and difficulty in life. Now, before you think to yourself, my relationships are fine and switch off and stop listening to me (laughs) or start thinking to yourself, oh, I knew who this series would be really good for. They should be here this Sunday and Sundays to follow. Let me tell you who this series is for. Because we renovate for different reasons. So something that you might not know about me yet is that I actually love renovation. It brings me great joy. I come by it honestly. My mom loves renovating. She loves projects. I've always got projects on the go. The longer I live, the more I discover how much like my mother I am. And so I love renovating, just like my mom taught me to. And I've been doing different renovation projects kind of all through my life. And I'm going to tell you about three projects that I've been involved with on some level. So the first one is a couple of years ago, there was a bang on our door in the middle of the night. And I woke up, and as I was running towards the door, I knew what the problem was, why there was a person at the door. (coughs) Because I ran past the bathroom and there was water flooding out of the bathroom onto the wood floor in the hallway, and it was going between the cracks of the wood floor and flooding the apartment below us. So it was my neighbor at the door asking me what we were doing in the middle of the night to cause this flood. Well, we weren't doing anything. The problem was that one of the pipes under the sink that attaches to the faucet had spontaneously burst, and water was just pouring out everywhere. So that needed to be replaced. It needed to be fixed urgently because it was causing major problems. And this happens in relationships too. One of the reasons that we, that we need to renovate in our relationships is because our relationships need reconciling. We have a slide here. So reasons to renovate. The first reason that we renovate is to reconcile. Reconcile is about fixing what's broken. So just like things in our home might break, our relationships can also break. And when we have a broken relationship, that's a relationship that needs to be reconciled. Now, I didn't have the skills to do the plumbing work to fix this particular problem myself, so I had to call in someone else and do the important work of supervising. I'm sure many of you know how important the work of supervising is. And so I supervised that renovation to make sure it went properly. But this is also something that is sometimes necessary in our relationships. Sometimes we don't have the tools to be able to do the job properly. And we need to be able to bring other people in to help us renovate in our relationships. The next renovation is my current renovation project. I'm very excited about it. And this is the closets at my house. So for some reason or other, there were no closet doors on the closets in our house. And Jonas is starting to learn how to climb out of his crib. Yesterday was pretty scary for us um, because there's still some baby proofing we need to do in his room. And he got his one leg up over the top rail of his crib. And we realized, oh, this is not going to be long before he can get out of this thing. We've got to do some of these things really fast. Luckily, we've already started on these projects. One of them is Putting closet doors onto the closets because he will be able to climb the shelves in the closet as soon as he can climb out of his crib as well. And we can't baby proof without doors on the closet. Now, I had a friend come over and was looking uh, at some other things and he pointed out to me that the carpet in the closets was um, worn in certain patches, which is unusual for carpet in a closet because it's not exactly a high-traffic area. And so he pointed out to me that the reason the carpet inside the closets was worn like this was because it's been eaten by moths. So there are moths living in our closet eating through the carpet. And so if I were to just put closet doors on and seal the problem inside... It's going to continue to deteriorate and things are going to get worse over time. So it was a bigger job than I at first thought it was going to be. So right now I'm in the process of ripping out all of the old carpet and underlay and treating the wood floor to kill the bugs so that we can put down new carpet and put closet doors on. So this kind of project is a repair and we do repairs to mend damage. We do this in our relationships as well ongoing uh, small things that happen in relationships or don't happen in relationships over time can cause wear and tear on those relationships. And so it's important for us to renovate before it gets to the point of being broken to take care of those issues of wear and tear to strengthen what's there. So repair work is another reason that we might do renovation, both in our homes Both in our homes—I walk too much, I think is what that was about. Am I right? Okay. Both (laughs) in our homes and in our relationships, we do renovations to repair. And one of my favorite renovation projects to date— was my friends were moving an old Queenslander onto their property and renovating it to live in. So the house itself was a functioning house. They could have just moved it on and not done anything to it and lived in it, but it was an old house, and so they wanted to do some things to it to zhuzh it up, to freshen it a bit for them moving into it. So they were trying to do it on a very tight budget, and didn't want to hire professionals to do anything that wasn't absolutely necessary. So they asked me and one of my other girlfriends if we would tile their bathroom and shower. That's a pretty big renovation job, and neither of us had any experience with tiling. But we taught ourselves from YouTube videos and from Bunnings tutorials, and we tiled that bathroom, and it was beautiful. (laughs) to the point that when a builder came in to visit their house later and check things over, he offered us jobs because we did such a good job on this bathroom. I'll just take a bow. <clears throat> yeah, it was one of my favorite Uh, renovation projects, but it wasn't a renovation that was essential because something was broken. It wasn't a repair necessarily even. It wasn't that there was wear and tear. It was just that they wanted to add value to the home. They wanted to make it more special for them living in it. And this is another reason that we do relationship renovation we work on our relationships to refresh things, to bring new life to what is tired or worn or is experiencing some wear and tear. So there are different levels of renovation that we go through in a home and also in our relationships. And what that means is that relationship renovation is for every one of us. Because whether your relationship that you're thinking of is penthouse apartment, or if it's uh, 80s bungalow, or somewhere outside of that, or in between, all of our relationships can use some form of renovation. And we want to add value to every relationship that we have, not just fix the ones that are broken. For a successful renovation, we need three things. We need a vision, a plan, and we need the right tools. If we don't have a vision or a plan, uh, then we deal with things that come up in our relationships reactively. Something comes up and we kind of instinctively go for it instead of having a plan for our relationships and actively seeking out to strengthen things in it. So trying to solve a problem, we can end up creating bigger problems. I know I've seen this in relationships that I've had before. Something's come up, I've dealt with it in the wrong way, and I've made the problem worse instead of better. And then I'm really irritated with myself for trying at all because I've only made things work. Worse, And now there's a bigger issue to deal with. Can anyone else relate to me on that? Thank you. I feel better. So the only way to build something healthy and lasting is proactively through having a vision and a plan. So we want to help you have a vision and a plan for strong and healthy relationships. And if we don't have the right tools, we won't change anything, but we'll probably end up hurting ourselves and quite possibly others along the way. But we have some good news, and that's that God is great at relationships. Relationships are God's specialty, Jesus came to the earth to reconcile relationships. Last time I preached, I actually spoke about this when we were doing our Christmas series. I talked about how Jesus is the one who came to bring reconciliation between man and God. But the other part of that is that he came to bring reconciliation between man and man. So he came so that we could be reconciled with him, but also so that we would have the tools to be reconciled with one another. God cares so much about relationships that he gave his life for it. And we have him on our side now as we move forward with trying to renovate our own relationships. So we have very good ideas, we have a vision, a plan, we're going to be working on some tools, but more than that, we have help, we have power to see healthy and thriving relationships become a reality in our lives. So we're going to go to the Bible and we're going to look to the example of Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to help us as we enter into some renovation of our uh, Key relationships, but really any relationships in our life can benefit from the tools of relationship renovation that we're going to talk about in this series. And our key verse for the series is Philippians 2.5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, as Christ Jesus. The tool or the facet of relationships that I'm going to be sharing about is conflict conflict. Isn't that your reaction when you hear that word? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) For most people, the word conflict has a very negative connotation. You've probably been hurt in conflict. If you're honest, you've probably hurt others in conflict. Maybe it scares you because you don't know how to deal with it. You don't feel like you have the tools to move forward. However, the fact is that conflict by itself, conflict at its core, is neither positive or negative. It's a natural and neutral part of relationships, reality in our relationships. Conflict, simply, is the intersection of differing desires, opinions, values, and goals. It's the way that we approach conflict that has the power to make it a positive thing or a negative thing. And I do say positive thing, not just negative thing. Conflict, if it's done poorly, if we attack it in the wrong way definitely does have the power to hurt us, to hurt others. And that's what lots of us would have experienced, and that's why we may have some apprehension about dealing with conflict. But it also has the power to be a tool to build up and strengthen our relationships. So we should want to know how to deal with conflict well because we want to know how to use the tools that are available to us To strengthen our relationships and make them better. The Apostle Paul, when speaking to the church in Ephesus about being united in their relationships, said this Instead, speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So Paul raises an important question here for us. Can truth and love coexist? Our society today would seem to indicate that these things can't coexist, that they are in contradiction to one another. In order to love me, you must agree with me. If you disagree with me, you cannot love me. I've watched a lot of people be backed into the corner by this kind of uh, mentality. And if you're on social media, you've probably watched this play out time and time again. Someone expresses what they believe to be the truth about a certain issue, and they are immediately attacked They get called hateful and ignorant and all kinds of ugly things for what they believe is true. Simply because the person on the other side can't reconcile the fact that someone can disagree with them and still love them. So this attitude says, I can either care about an issue or I can care about a person. I can care about you or I can care about your opinion and your beliefs. It puts the two in opposition to one another. And it means that you have to make a choice in how you respond to them of are you going to agree with them or are you going to, and then they believe you love them or are you going to disagree with them and have them believe that you don't love them. It really pushes you into a corner. So when Paul instructs the Ephesian church to speak the truth in love, is his statement contradictory? Or does he just not get it because we're in a different era today? Now we can't speak the truth in love. Maybe they could have in the early church, but today we just can't speak the truth in love. I don't think that's true. Maybe Paul was jumping on something that he saw in the life of Jesus here, that Jesus modeled this. We don't have to make a choice between caring about an issue and caring about people. We need to hold truth and love together. We've got to care about people, and we've got to care about issues. We've got to care about values, the things that we disagree with, uh, where truth is in them. We have to care about that. So there's a book that was written called Caring Enough to Confront. Uh, I think it's the next slide. And it presents five different ways to approach conflict. Yeah. The first one is my way. My way is win-lose. So if you're familiar with the really broad talk of conflict responses, the fight or flight responses. I would say most people probably have heard this kind of um, speech before, that that's how people tend to react more naturally to conflict is fight or flight. So this one is the typical flight response. So it often expresses a desire to win The argument, to win in regards to the issue above caring about the relationship. It's my way. It's got to be my way. And so for me to win the issue, someone has to lose. This is a win-lose way of approaching conflicts in our lives. So it's not the healthiest view. Maybe as I go through these approaches, you'll be having people pop up in your mind that you've dealt with on different things before, or maybe you're going to recognize yourself somewhere here. I recognize my former self, let's say, in this particular one, the my way. I can tell you that there have been conflicts that I have won where I was wrong, really, really wrong but I won. And that's what mattered to me more at the time than the person that I was dealing with. It was more important to me that I won the conflict than that I cared about loving the person. So in this case, I, I had to choose winning. I had to choose issue or what I believed to be truth over love. So I sacrifice one in order to hold on to the other. The second approach is no way. This is a very hopeless view of conflict. um, And probably one held by people who have been hurt repeatedly by conflict. I think this is something that people can fall into because of that where you believe that people can't change, their opinions won't change, and since the conflict is not going to go away, it's better to distance yourself from the relationship. So in the fight or flight lingo, this is the flight. So it's easier just to get away from the relationship than to, um, to try to get the other person to see where you're coming from, to see what you believe to be the truth in the situation. This is really lose-lose, because neither the issue is dealt with or the relationship is mended. And so we lose on both fronts in this particular response. The next one is thy way. They were trying to make these kind of rhyme together. It's not because the book was written in the 12th century. So this one is about yielding. This is an easy trap for the people pleasers amongst us to fall into, and it says, I want you to love me, and so I'll fold in order to resolve the issue so that you will still be happy with me. And the more we care about a relationship, I think the easier it is to fall into this one because we value the relationship. So if we don't have a lot of hope for the issue, then at least uh, over the no way, I'm trying to choose relationship over the issue. But again, it doesn't benefit either one in the long term. It doesn't benefit the relationship in the long term because we're sacrificing truth in order to try to hold on to love. But that eats away at real love in a relationship when we're not functioning in truth. The next one is our way. It's 50-50. Of all of them so far, this one sounds the best, doesn't it? 50-50. At least we each get half of our own way in this one. We get to half agree. Compromise can really be a gift to us in our relationships, However, when compromise upon compromise on compromise take place, because it's our go-to, it's what we always go to for dealing with our conflicts, what it leads to in the long run is a relationship where you're only half happy and um, you're never feeling like you're fully fulfilled or fully loved. It's half truth, half love. Um, So it's not really a great conflict um, approach to have consistently throughout your life. Now, any one of these that we've talked about so far, there may be certain circumstances where they're the appropriate response to that circumstance. But we're talking about what is your natural go-to response in life. And the last one is what I want to present is, I think, the best go-to response for us in terms of approaching conflict in our relationships. And that one's called The Third Way. Please don't blame me. I did not write this book. Even though it's the fifth way, it's called The Third Way. Someone should have edited before they took it to the publisher, I think. Uh, And this way is about caring and confronting. It's about valuing both truth and love. This is probably the hardest of any of these approaches to conflict. It's the one that's going to take the most work, if I'm being honest with you. But it's where we get to express creative problem solving. It's where we get to show our dedication to truth and show our dedication to loving the other person. So when we end up solving our conflicts through this third way, then we end up with relationships that are built and strengthened. So instead of having relationships where we have negative concepts of what conflict is, we can actually have positive um, associations with conflict when we learn how to deal with them in this kind of a way. So that's easy to say. It's easy to say, speak the truth in love. But what does it actually look like? to speak the truth in love. I'm going to read us a story from Luke chapter seven. Starting at verse 36, if anyone's following along. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In this story, both Jesus and Simon the Pharisee spoke truth. She was a sinful woman. That was the truth. She had a reputation and they all knew it. Simon spoke the truth in judgment. And Jesus spoke the truth in love. And his act of love towards her was that he gave her forgiveness for her sins. The fact that Jesus spoke the truth to her actually strengthens what happened here. It strengthens that relationship. So, Jesus could have not said anything about her being a sinner. He could have sacrificed being truthful in this scenario, but then the act of his love would have lacked the depth that it did when she told her, when he told her that she was forgiven. Because if she had walked away not knowing that he was aware that she was a sinner, he knew what kind of a sinner she was, she would also have walked away with doubt of whether her sins had really been forgiven. Have all of my sins really been forgiven? Maybe he doesn't know how bad I am. Maybe he doesn't really know what I've done in my life. But he spoke truth. Yes, she is a sinner. But then in his act of love towards her, in his act of forgiveness towards her, it had so much more strength and so much more depth because she walked away in absolute confidence that all of her sin had been forgiven. Had he sacrificed truth, it would have also sacrificed the depth of the love that was expressed in that situation. Truth and love are not in contradiction to one another. They are partners, and they are partners that work perfectly together in conflict to build our relationships. Let me tell you another story. This is a story that happened in Ephesus, but not in the book of Ephesians. This happened in Ephesus in my life. So I was leading a team in Turkey a number of years ago, and uh, we had the opportunity to visit the ruins at Ephesus. And so we spent the morning, before we went in, we agreed on a meeting time, a meeting place, and then we all went in, and we went our own separate ways to explore and see what we wanted to see, and then come back together at a certain time to meet so that we could go and have lunch together. And as I was walking through one of the little gift shops outside of the gates that you go into Ephesus itself, one of the girls on my team came out and she started yelling at me out of nowhere. She was furious with me because she hadn't got to see everything that she wanted to see. And because of the place that was set for us to meet, which was outside of the gates, she wasn't going to be able to talk to the team and now go back in and see what she wanted to see. So this was the only time in her life that she was ever going to have an opportunity to come to this place. And I had ruined it. And I was so ticked off with this girl. And, Honestly, firstly, it wasn't my fault. We had all agreed as a team on the time and place to meet. And secondly, it was so inappropriate of her to disrespect me the way that she just had. So I felt like I've got all the truth in this situation going for me, and she's got none of it. And so I opened my mouth to tear this girl to pieces And as I did, I felt the Holy Spirit say, stop. And I just shut my mouth. And I was like, Lord, what do you mean, stop? She absolutely needs to be put in her place. Do you want me just to be a doormat and let her walk all over me? And he said, yep. And so I said, nothing. And I let her know that I would pay for her to go back into the park and see what she wanted to. And we made other arrangements to meet up with her for later in the day. So the rest of us trotted off for lunch, and then we went to see some kind of castle somewhere. I do not remember this castle. I only remember furiously trudging up a hill to go see it while I spoke angrily with God about the situation but he did not release me to speak to her. And I spent, I want to say days, but it might have been weeks praying for the Lord's conviction to fall on her, for her to apologize to me for what she had done wrong because she was absolutely wrong and I was absolutely right. And so if the Holy Spirit wasn't going to let me talk to her, he better talk to her because I deserved an apology. And so I was sitting on a ferry one day, had some time to kill, and no one spoke English. So I decided to have a little quiet time with God on the ferry. And I was praying once again for this girl and her repentance. And Holy Spirit said to me, I'm not worried about her repentance right now. I'm worried about yours. And I said, excuse me, (laughs) what do you mean my repentance? And he said, did you not tell me that you would love her? when you led this team, that you would love her? And I said, yeah. And then that verse came to mind that we all know from, if anyone's ever been to a wedding in their life, um, what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. But what was leaping out to me was that love holds no record of wrong. And he said, you said that you'd love her, but right now you're holding record of her wrong. And it just cut me to the core shoot, (laughs) I have not been loving her. And I'm so grateful that even though I felt like I had all the truth in this situation, that God wouldn't let me open my mouth and speak to her when I was going to do it with no love. Because he cared about that relationship more than I cared about that relationship. He cared that that relationship would be healthy. He cared that the relationship with my team members who would have witnessed this outburst, he cared about those relationships as well, that they would be healthy, that they would be strengthened. And none of that would have happened if I had opened my mouth and told her what I was thinking in that moment. And so this is the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to bring something to the table to help us in our conflicts, to help us to function in both truth and love. It's not easy, but it's not something that we are doing on our own. Philippians 2.5, the challenge is that we would have the mindset Christ. Well, this is the mindset of Christ that he's one who speaks truth in love. He never sacrifices one for the other because he is the embodiment of truth and love. He can't contradict himself and so he doesn't act in a way that is one without the other. As I was preparing this message, um, the Holy Spirit. For as I was preparing this message I was praying and asking the Holy Spirit that he would be highlighting to us relationships that need some renovation and who need renovation in the area of conflict. And I believe that there are people here and people who are listening on the pod, the podcast who would fall into one of these categories of needing renovation, that you need a relationship to be reconciled, that there are relationships in your life that need repair or that need refreshing. I think that there are people in this room who would say, yep, that category is me. I would imagine that all of us can relate to one of these. And so I want to encourage you as we go out from here this week, that every one of us would take a step towards renovation. There's usually a lot more than one step in a renovation, but that you would take a first step to renovate one of your relationships this week, that you would take a step of truth or that you would take a step of love determined by what is needed in that relationship. So maybe God is um, reminding you of a word that you spoke to someone that was true, but wasn't loving. Or maybe he's showing you where you sacrificed being truthful in a relationship and ended up cheapening the love that existed in that relationship. If that's the case, how this week can you step out in bringing truth or love to those relationships? I'm just going to pray for us as we close this morning. Thank you, God, that you are the empowering force behind our relationships that you're the one that created them you're the one that desires them to be healthy for us to live lives where we thrive in all aspects emotionally and physically and mentally and thank you that relationships is the tool that you've given us to see those beautiful things in our lives God, I pray for your empowering now as we work through some of the difficult things in those relationships, like conflict. I pray that you would be speaking wisdom to us for what needs to be done to take that first step of renovating our relationships. And also that you would be giving us the power to accomplish what we can't do ourselves in those relationships. And I specifically want to pray for, um, I think that there is someone or some people here are listening on the podcast who uh, have given up hope in some of their relationships or in a relationship because they feel like no good can come out of conflict in their relationship, that they've given up on speaking truth because it hasn't worked out in the past. God, I pray that you would heal that uh, injured spirit that doesn't um, think it's possible to function in truth and love, that you would show them that you are the king of relationships and that their relationships are under your reign, that you've got the power to move in them. God, would you restore that in them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.